Welcome to The Thing About Austin, a podcast about Jane Austen's world. I'm Zan. And I'm Diane. And this episode, we're talking about Mrs. Reynolds' house tours. TM, get your tickets. (laughs) They're going fast. (laughs) We start our conversation today with Pride and Prejudice. Elizabeth is touring Derbyshire with the gardeners, and after double-checking that Darcy isn't at home, mm -hmm, they all (laughs) decide to take a tour of Pemberley. They drive up to his estate, admiring all his landscaping and whatnot, until they get up to the main house. Okay, and so this is from the text. On applying to see the place, they were admitted into the hall, and Elizabeth, as they waited for the housekeeper, had leisure to wonder at her being where she was. The housekeeper came, a respectable-looking, elderly woman, much less fine and more civil than she had any notion of finding her. They followed her into the dining parlor. The rooms were lofty and handsome, and their furniture suitable to the fortune of their proprietor. But Elizabeth saw, with admiration of his taste, that it was neither gaudy nor uselessly fine. With less splendor and more real elegance, than the furniture of Rosings. Not really subtle on that comparison. She's like, hmm. Better taste than your aunt. Good for you. (laughs) So before we get started, we want to thank everybody who requested this episode. Quite a few listeners were curious about how exactly one would go about just sort of showing up at someone's (laughs) house. We are here to provide that info for you today. Absolutely. So it was actually a fairly common practice in the 18th century to tour country estates. And this stemmed from a long tradition of country houses being sites of hospitality for the wealthy. We see this on a really grand scale with the progresses of Queen Elizabeth I. Each summer, she would decide to tour the country and take her entourage around visiting different country estates and the local sites. It was an honor to house the queen but also ridiculously expensive. But it does set a kind of standard for country houses as being open to socially elite travelers. According to John Stobart, in his introduction to Travel and the British Country House, Cultures, Critiques, and Consumption in the Long 18th Century, there is a, quote, long tradition of the country house as a site for hospitality, a place where travelers, at least those of a certain status, could expect to be welcomed even if they were unknown to the owner of the house. So as Clive Aslett points out in his book, The Story of the Country House, because of these impromptu visitors, quote, this meant that the main rooms of the house could be inspected and judged at any moment. Home was not only the theater of its owner's hospitality, as Sir Henry Wotton had described it in the 17th century, but a stage on which the rituals of social decorum were enacted, whenever an audience appeared. So, you know, it is always showtime in these fancy houses. So if you were a fancy member of the peerage, you could kind of just assume that a fellow peer would let you stay for a night or two, whether you were besties or not, you know. (laughs) I don't know you, come on in. Sure. It's a kind of unspoken rule and expectation. And during the 16th and 17th centuries, country house visits were often paired with the elite visitors' desires to see really eclectic curios and collections at these houses. 
So country estate owners were really interested in filling their houses with lots of quote unquote exotic or expensive Mm. stuff to entertain their visitors with. And the more eclectic and expensive the collection, the better. In the 18th century, however, we start to see an evolution in these kind of eclectic tastes. According to Stobart, quote, curiosity and eclecticism were increasingly replaced by taste and discernment, and collections were more narrowly focused on the arts, paintings, sculpture, medals, marbles, and books, all framed in the grand and symbolic architecture of the house itself. This basically means that owners of these country houses were now focused on curating a very specific kind of style and grandeur, which would demonstrate to the visitors that they are still very, very fancy, but have impeccable taste. You know, your house is on show, but so is your taste, essentially. I mean, that's what I hope anybody who comes over to my house thinks, you know, like, wow. (laughs) Her taste is immaculate. It is exquisite. (laughs) By the end of the 18th century, we also see a shift in the types of people who come to see these country houses. We still have the fancy social elite stopping by uninvited for a slumber party. (laughs) But now we also have the less stratified gentry coming for a brief house tour. According to Aslett, grand country houses were also viewed by the increasing numbers of well-bred tourists who could expect to be shown around by the housekeeper, even if the family was not there. So Elizabeth and the gardeners just showing up completely normal. Country houses are basically open to genteel individuals with the money, time, and leisure to make the visits. Yeah. And a lot of people took advantage of that. And that makes a lot of sense when you realize, as Christina Lupton points out in the Oxford World's Classics edition of Pride and Prejudice, that, quote, with few public museums and art galleries, stately homes were treasure houses of paintings and furniture, and their popularity for visitors can be seen in Horace Walpole's irritation at Strawberry Hill. Quote, I am tormented all day and every day by people that come to see my house. You know, it's, it's hard being Horace Walpole. Apparently, he's just really annoyed that he's got a fancy house that people want to visit. He is beset by these tourists. But, you know, it does make sense that people would want to come by if, if this is their only kind of access point to some of these, these collections or these artists. We have another example of this in Marc Girard's book, Life in the English Country House, where he describes a tour undertaken by a Mrs. Libby Powes. Quote, In 1776, Mrs. Libby Powes went for a tour of Wiltshire. She occupied much of her time in going round country houses, as was the normal practice, not only for her, but for all polite people on holiday. Among others, she visited the Earl of Radnor's Longford Castle near Salisbury and Fontill House near Tisbury. So even though this was an increased interest in touring country houses, according to Stobart, the basic process of house visiting remained largely unchanged throughout the 18th century. He says, The prospective visitor either sent a servant ahead or simply knocked on the door and asked to be admitted. Again, which is exactly what Lizzie and the gardeners do. And then Stobart continues, If the visitor was lucky and of high status, he or she might be shown round by the owner. But this task was often left to servants, usually the housekeeper. So enter Mrs. Reynolds. And, you know, enter Mr. Darcy at the end of the tour, too. (laughs) Just 
details. Yes, yes. <laughs> Basically, Lizzie and the gardeners get the platinum membership tour of Pemberley with this little <laughs> impromptu visit. Oh, definitely. Yeah. Oh, is it you? Am I at your house? Okay. <laughs> How unexpected to see you in your home. One would not expect to see you at the house at which you live in. Okay, goodbye. <laughs> oh, so awkward. So, so awkward. <laughs> so it was standard practice to pay a small fee or tip to the housekeeper for these tours. For instance, in 1724, William Hanbury paid the housekeeper two shillings, six pence for his tour of Wilton House. So giving house tours is a bit of a side hustle for Mrs. Reynolds since she gets to keep these tips. So I love that for her. I do. Yeah. She sounds like a fantastic tour guide. Great tour guide. Very personable. She's Mm -hmm. giving you little charming anecdotes about Mr. Darcy as a kid. Like what's not to love? We love it all. Yes. So these tours of the house would have been kind of similar to how we tour estate houses today. According to Mark Rothery's article, Country House Visiting past, present, and future. Visitors were restricted in the areas of the house they could enter and guided around the spaces of the house, carefully schooled as they went in the meaning and significance of the objects they saw. So it's very likely that many of these housekeepers had a kind of standard highlight reel for the house and the tours that they would give, fielding all these questions and then maybe kind of tweak it according to the interests of their visitors. But yeah, they've got the rooms, the artwork, the estate. They'd probably have kind of a running script. Some owners did enjoy giving their own tours and being available to visitors. Not Horace Walpole, but (laughs) some of them did. (laughs) One can imagine that Sir John Middleton, he would love to show random visitors around Barton Park. He'd be the kind where you'd like, okay, we really do have to go. We're on a schedule. And he'd be like, but no, really, I've got more to say. (laughs) Yeah. Why don't you stay for dinner? Come on, have a seat. We'll start a dance. It'll be great. Mm -hmm. But there were definitely owners who, if they were in residence, preferred to avoid tourists. So Mm -hmm. that's when a Mrs. Reynolds is a very important person to have on staff. Essentially, your buffer between yourself and the public. Right. Yeah. Because at some of these really big, popular houses, you could just be overrun by tourists. Yeah. Just it's just a constant flood. Yeah. Again, as Sir Horace Walpole has bemoaned. (laughs) Near the end of the 18th century, we start to see a trend for some of the fancier country houses to even have their own published guidebooks. Places like Blenheim, Chatsworth, Wilton, and Stowe did have guidebooks, which often particularly highlighted things like architectural features of the house, as well as detailed information about the collections or paintings and other artwork that were there. And according to Stobart, many of these house tours were considered a chance for individuals to, quote, gaze and critically assess collections made on the grand tour. These visits to country houses were, according to Stobart, quote, much more about personal improvement and refining taste, learning and testing what comprised good taste, which is kind of a delightful way to segue into how this fits in with Pride and Prejudice, since At the end of the passage we read earlier, we have Lizzie noticing Darcy's taste. Elizabeth saw with admiration of his taste that it was neither gaudy nor uselessly fine, with less of splendor and more real elegance than the furniture of Rosings. So it's a pretty clear-cut comparison. And as she's walking through his house, she's thinking, you know, I had some reservations about that first proposal, but... (laughs) Now that I see his exquisite taste 
and furnishings and mm-hmm, art. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm having some second thoughts. <laughs> it's the taste, right? It's all about taste. Mm-hmm. And if he has such great taste in furniture, well, obviously, he also has really great taste in life partners. Oh, well, so, obviously. Hmm. Okay. <laughs> I'm rethinking some things now. Oh, I love this house tour so much. So much. So throughout these scenes with the tour of Pemberley, Austin constantly draws attention to how much there is to like about, obviously, Darcy's taste, but also Mrs. Reynolds, the estate, and kind of the family in general. So Mrs. Reynolds inverts Lizzie's expectations by not being stuck up. When Lizzie first sees Mrs. Reynolds, she's like, oh, she's actually a little bit warmer, maybe, than I thought she was going to be. So she's not as stuck up or overly fine as she might have expected. And then Mrs. Reynolds becomes progressively warmer and more expressive as the tour goes on. Yeah, like Elizabeth goes into this situation expecting like a really snooty housekeeper who's going to look down on her. Mm -hmm. And And be like, I'm very posh and only posh people are allowed. Yes. Yes, exactly. So she's kind of like, okay, well, again, Mrs. Reynolds is really doing so much work for Darcy here. (laughs) She's really helping out his cause. She really is. So Mrs. Reynolds definitely gets significantly more chatty. At least the novel gives her more dialogue Mm -hmm. once she knows that Lizzie knows Mr. Darcy. And she then gives a more intimate kind of tour of the artwork and details about the family at this point. Mm -hmm. So it's definitely tailored for this group where at least one of them has actually seen Mr. Darcy and can do the whole compare, contrast, which is more handsome, you know, Mm -hmm. the whole thing. Yeah. And I do think it's also fitting that the majority of the commentary that we do get from Mrs. Reynolds is about the artwork in the house. And this would have been a really central part of her responsibilities as a tour guide. So as Lupton points out, quote, the name of the housekeeper is surely no accident because she's taking them through the portrait gallery of Pemberley. So Lupton continues, normally the Reynolds in a gallery would be on the wall. Sir Joshua Reynolds was the first president of the Royal Academy of Arts and one of the foremost portrait painters in the country. So Austin is aware of this. She even visited the great exhibition at Pall Mall where Reynolds's works were displayed. So having Mrs. Reynolds walking through a portrait gallery and providing commentary to people visiting the country house is a really incredibly apt little pun, which I am delighted by. And if you want to hear more about the portrait gallery, you can listen to our very first episode, The Thing About Mr. Darcy's Portrait, for a real The Thing About Austin throwback. A very real throwback. We also have a guest episode, The Thing About Bennick's Miniature, with guest Emma Rutherford, in which we briefly address the miniatures from this tour. Mm -hmm. So back to Mrs. Reynolds and her house tour. I don't think it's incidental that Mrs. Reynolds makes such a good impression on Elizabeth in this scene. So granted, there is that passage when Lizzie points out that the housekeeper has known Darcy most of his life, and and she kind of has this thought, quote, The commendation bestowed on him by Mrs. Reynolds was of no trifling nature. What praise is more valuable than the praise of an intelligent servant? And later she thinks, every idea that had been brought forward by the housekeeper was favorable to his character. Like just Mrs. Reynolds slam dunking it for for his his PR right now. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Yeah. Mrs. Reynolds is definitely. Is there any of those little cracks in in Lizzie's armor? They are. They're split Mm -hmm. wide open. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Absolutely. In addition to that praise from Mrs. Reynolds, 
We're also seeing Lizzie and the housekeeper interact in a really positive way, which is a big deal when you realize how closely a housekeeper and the lady of the house work together. Mm -hmm. When Austin makes it clear that Lizzie and Mrs. Reynolds operate on mutual respect in the scene, it is one more little hint that Elizabeth would really fit in at Pemberley. Elizabeth is not going to have an experience of Daphne du Maurier's novel, Rebecca. Mm-hmm. <laughs> She's not going to have that kind of experience. Like that housekeeper that is like absolutely yes. terrifying and they do not get along. This is one of those where it's like, no, 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 we're going to be besties. We work well yeah. together. And I do think that that is a lovely little thing that like you can see Lizzie interacting with, you know, after you finish the novel, you realize that those two are actually going to work quite closely together and it's going to work. It's going to work just fine. Mrs. Reynolds is no Mrs. Danvers. Right. They are going to have a great relationship. You can just already picture them planning parties together, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. getting things arranged for the gardeners to come visit at the holidays. Absolutely. You know, yes. It's going to be great. It's going to work. Yes. Wink nudge, Mrs. Reynolds. <laughs> so I do love that we also get these house tours in the both the 95 and the 2005 adaptations of Pride and Prejudice. I have to say I'm biased in this particular scene towards the 95 adaptation because Mrs. Reynolds in that one has all the right vibes. She's like solicitous, but in like the best way. She like makes a really good impression. And like you remember her afterwards as a character, but in like a really positive way. Whereas in the 2005 adaptation, I feel like Mrs. Reynolds, I mean, she's not present much. She's not like a big figure. Yeah. It it feels like at some point Elizabeth is kind of wandering off by herself. Yeah. Yeah. And that scene always, it always makes me so uncomfortable when Lizzie kind of wanders off or like, like is by herself because she kind of spies on the private parts of the house, essentially, right? When, when she looks through the, the door and sees Georgiana and Darcy in a private family moment. I know, but we get to see that adorable moment between Darcy and Georgiana. It's oh, so it's cute. So, it's <laughs> so cute. It's so cute. And it's meant to melt our hearts. It really is. But it's also like, She's spying on them. Right. It's this private moment. And she's like, oh, hey, I'm here in your house. No worries. The way that the camera cuts, though, to like eyeball to eyeball is just like awkward. And Darcy like, what? And she's like, what? And then she runs. And he's like, I got to go. I love it. (laughs) But I think you're right in that Mrs. Reynolds would never let that happen. Like the idea of, of Elizabeth just sort of like wandering off into getting close to like the private family chambers. Right. That's not a thing. She would never. No. Mrs. Reynolds runs a tight ship. She does. (laughs) Yes. And it is this kind of this moment where where Lizzie does kind of see this this moment, even though it works for the narrative, which I I won't dispute that. But it does kind of, you know, if you're talking about these kind of house tours on a broader scale, you can kind of imagine if you live in one of those country houses and the visitor is kind of trespassing around your boundaries, you you can imagine that that would be actually awkward. Oh, I mean, you can kind of see where Horace Walpole is coming from, you know? He's like, stay out of my space, people. Quit peeking through the keyholes. Go away. Exactly. Exactly. Again, he just needs a housekeeper like Mrs. Reynolds. This would never happen under her watch. Yes, exactly. (laughs) And if you would like to share with us some of your stories or photos from perhaps visiting some of these famous country houses, Mm -hmm. you can find us on Instagram at The Thing About Austin. And on Twitter at Austin underscore things. You can also check out our website, thethingaboutaustin.com, and email us at thethingaboutaustin at gmail.com. And if you would like to support the podcast, you can always click that five stars button on Spotify or Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen, or leave us a positive review on Apple Podcasts, which we always appreciate. Always. 
And we wanted to share this review from listener Speak Darcy to me, who says, <laughs> It is a truth universally acknowledged. You know how it goes. If that caught your attention, this is a podcast for you. Definitely vibing with these girls. They totally speak Austin. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much. That is so kind. And we'll be off for a few weeks, but stay tuned for our next episode where we will be talking about gentlemen's clubs. Thanks for listening. Bye. Bye.